Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Golden Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave A.C. Cooper and Ian, the Sith Doctor. Sorry, the Sixth. Welcome to the Colton Collective, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Ian, the Sixth Doctor, and joining me, the Force is strong with him. Well, we think that's what the smell is. It's Mr. Dave Cooper. Well, I'm rather bent over and I'm walking with a stick. So, uh... <laughs> this is not trivia. This is not quite enough trivia. <laughs> Don't go for those kind of comments. <laughs> oh, dear. Hi, Ian. Yes, yep. he's all, he, what, he, what he's basically admitting to, folks, is he's older than Yoda. <laughs> I'm, I'm restraining myself. Ian's in charge today. <laughs> That's what's going to be wrong with this show. I'm in charge. <laughs> All right. Before we get too far, um, of course, yes, today is Star Wars Day. It's May the 4th. And I did say Sith instead of Fifth. It's the list that I've got for May the 4th. Anyway, that joke fell flat. But All right. Uh, the dark side is actually very strong with him. It's Mr. Darth Skeptical, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hey. <laughs> yep, his bing just got moved up. <laughs> and uh, he's with us for a short time only. Logan is here. Hello, sir. Uh, that's Grandmaster Logan for you guys, so welcome, Ooh. or hello. <laughs> hello, Master. <laughs> also joining us, Mr. Randall Thor is here. Hello, Mike. Happy Stargate SG-1 day. Wait. I got that. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> Happy Gate Day. <laughs> uh, also joining us on audio is Jeff, the Seventh Doctor. May the Fourth be with you, and what I mean by that is the Fourth Doctor. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello. Hiya, Jeff. And lastly on audio, it's Obi-Wan, Cuddly Ken Kenobi. The Force is strong with this one. I sense only a master of evil. Not Darth, but it's that monkey. <laughs> that damnable monkey. The dark side. Get him, get him, get him quick. Get him Hi quick. there. Hi, Ian. Hi, Dave. Hello. May the Force be with you. And also with you. <laughs> We're listening to the whole show. All right. Um, I'd love the cone of silence, but there's no point. There's nobody there. <laughs> there's just Ken, actually. So, 
East Coast on a little private cone. We're not going to bother with the cone. We're going to go straight to the last person of the Colton Collective. And the last person you'd ever expect to turn to the dark side. It's the Typing Monkeys. News time. Go, Typing Monkeys. Typing go. Monkey, go. Go. Yes. And with news. Star Wars news only. We're only doing Star Wars news today. Well, we might do a little bit of Doctor Who. But who knows? Mr. Cuddly Ken, you got some Star Wars casting news. Star Wars fanfare, please. Only, only okay. the highest quality audio on this show, folks. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Mouth kazoo every time. All right, folks. Use the false Luke. Yes. <laughs> the Star Wars team officially has announced this week the casting of the Star Wars Episode Seven. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Actors John Boyaga, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, Oscar Isaac, Andy Serkis of Lord of the Rings and Rise of the Planet of the Apes fame, Doniel Gleason, and the legendary Max von Sydow will join the original stars of the saga, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca Lives, and Kenny Baker in the new film. And if I sound pleased, boy, am I ever. Um, Director J.J. Abrams says, we're so excited to finally share the cast of Star Wars Episode Seven. It's both thrilling and surreal to watch the beloved original cast and these brilliant new performers come together to bring this world to life once again. We'll start shooting in a couple of weeks, and everyone is doing their best to make the fans proud. Oh, uh, Star Wars Episode Seven is being directed by J.J. Abrams from a screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan and Abrams. Kathleen Kennedy, J.J. Abrams, and Brian Burke are producing. And John Williams returns as the composer. Wow. It's a good day to be a Star Wars fan, folks. There you go. That's all I have to say. But no um, Billy D. Williams. No Billy D. No Billy wow. D. Oh, I see. Darth does not know. Messaging. Anyway. <clears throat> I wanted to hear his take on this. But my 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 main disappointment with this casting news is the complaints that followed basically saying that uh, it's it's basically uh, this gender inequality in the casting news. And I just want to call, you know, call foul on that comment. It's like, what the heck? We don't even know the story yet. Uh, um, what is it? Daisy? Uh, Daisy? 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 Um, Daisy Duke? No. Daisy uh, Ridley could be the the lead in the whole dang thing, and the whole movie could revolve around her. And how then is that, you know, uh, gender inequality? You know, uh, uh, the Star Wars movies has never been that. Uh, Princess Leia was always uh, very much um, well. If you if you think of New Hope, um, she's the one ordering the boys around, and uh, is the one who makes good on the escape. Uh, the boys are kind of a bit lost without her. Um, she is uh, in, in in the next couple of movies. She's basically a high up, high ranking officer in in, in the resistance. 
It just bugs me when people start judging things and all you've got is a photo and some casting news and they're already ripping it apart, basically saying that, you know, oh, well, there's not enough women in it. And we haven't seen the rest of the cast. These are just the main cast. I'm waiting, waiting for Ahsoka to show up. But hey, that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> mm. ah, yes. uh, does anybody have any comments to make on, on this news before we roll swiftly onwards? Well, they did come out after that, and they said there is more major casting to come. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm trying to find an actual link to the article that said that, but uh, this came out like a day or two after that, especially when there was all the no- the noise out there about not enough females. Right. So. Yeah. I just couldn't believe that. That was, that was the first comment I saw was just people complaining about the, the lack of female representation. It's like... Oh please! <laughs> we can't even watch it. You can't even, you know, cast a movie these days without people complaining about it when they haven't even seen it. But hey, that's 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 fans for you. We're that's okay. cynicism, cynicism. I would have been just happy if they just said Mark Hamill. Um, yeah. After all the speculation that we wouldn't even be getting another movie for years and years, to actually get basically the entire original cast back. I, I wouldn't have expected Harrison Ford. Carrie Fisher has other things to do. You, you know, it would have been, you know, it's like the Beatles getting back together, folks. That Enjoy it right now and just, you know, uh, be happy for it. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think you're absolutely right, Ian. I mean, anybody who's listening to this podcast who started complaining when I said you were leading today's show, I mean, you shouldn't do it. It's not right. No. Well, actually, it is, because <laughs> it's me leading the show. <laughs> it kind of goes without saying. All right, because there are certain people who have uh, not, I and mean, I suppose we should have given a spoiler warning, but it was kind of out there news-wise. Um, but uh, our, our dear uh, Mr. Skeptical had not heard the news, um, so he is uh, currently off audio until we tell him otherwise. Um, so we're going to call a close to this little segment and uh, move on with other news. Uh, so there we go. That one's closed out. And Dara Skeptical is hopefully back. Well, uh, Dara, we, could go with, uh, we could go with Mike's news first while he gets himself sorted, if you want. Yeah, there we go. Mike, Mike, you have some other news. Yes, besides that, there was, some, there was a casting announcement for an upcoming movie trilogy that was announced. This is, of course, the upcoming uh, Terminator trilogy, and... Uh, I don't know if you want to, if, if you consider this spoiler, if you want to avoid this spoiler, then uh, uh, then tune out for the next bit. But uh, spoiler alert! Yeah, spoiler alert! Cast and cast for the upcoming trilogy of Terminator movies is previous Doctor, our most recent actor on Doctor Who, Matt Smith, will be in the upcoming trilogy. He'll be playing a minor character in the first of the three trilogies, but his character is reported to become more important as the trilogy goes on. So there we go, Doctor Who, lead Doctor Who actor in the new Terminator trilogy. There we go. Hmm. He's playing the Doctor. That's what it is. <laughs> that's that's the only way to overcome uh, overcome the Terminators is, is, is the Doctor comes and gets involved, just like Cybermen. <laughs> Wait, you mean he'll be playing a Doctor from the World Health Organization? Mm, who knows? Ben Cardiff. Oh, dear. All right. Well, assuming that uh, the Darth is back now, are you there, sir? I am indeed. Yes. 
you have news for us. I do. It's all Disney related, which is all good fun because, you know, as we, uh, at least on, in most parts of the world, I suppose, graduate from spring into summer. That's when, for whatever reason that I don't particularly understand, people want to start traveling. And um, it's good to note some things about various Disney parks. One of the coolest things that I am seeing is that in um, about 24 days, the new Seven Dwarfs Mine Train will be open uh, in Disney World in Florida, in the Magic Kingdom there, as a part of the uh, whole revamp of Fantasyland. Uh, what's exciting to me about that is that for a while there's been this uh, this move, especially at Disney World, to um, remake rides so that they use more current uh, productions so that you see a lot of Pixar stuff now replacing older um, attractions. This is the first new attraction that's been based on a proper Disney classic, as it were, a 2D classic in quite a while, I think. And certainly what's even more exciting about it is that it's actually sort of um, an exciting ride. <laughs> you know, you know this, Magic Kingdom especially has this bad rap for well, and it, maybe it's a deserved rep, I don't know, for producing attractions that are not very scary. Like, the scariest thing there is probably Space Mountain, I suppose. Um, and this is a move in the direction toward getting a little bit more action back into the Magic Kingdom. And, and it's cool that it is themed around, you know, the dwarfs from the original feature-length film that Disney put out. So that's really cool. Other things that are cool in terms of... Um, Bringing back classic Disney things is, um, you may remember, there was, I think we talked about it, God, it must be two years ago now. There was a, a deal that Disney did that gave them control over Oswald the Rabbit, which was Walt Disney's pre-Mickey creation that he lost um, and that forced him to then develop uh, Mickey Mouse and to make sure that when he developed Mickey Mouse, he had better copyright control over it. Um, they are finally making use of Oswald the Rabbit at a Disney park. But oddly, it's he's debuting as a character not anywhere in America, but rather at Tokyo Disneyland, uh, which is interesting. Um, maybe because there is a slightly bigger presence for Oswald uh, in the um, Japanese market than there is here. Uh, but still, it's, it's fascinating to see this character, which is like from the 20s and really never was in any kind of color production whatsoever has come back and that they're using the character in Tokyo Disneyland. Other things about Tokyo Disneyland, um, which, you know, since I'm in Hawaii, it's kind of a toss-up. Do I go to Disney World or do I go to Tokyo Disneyland? They're very different, by the way. Tokyo Disneyland, of course, is not wholly owned by, it's not even majority owned by Disney. It's only 10% owned by Disney. Uh, and so, therefore, it, it has some attractions and some things about it that are really funky and different than virtually any other Disney park. So it's real fun, especially Disney Sea. There's two major parks there. There's Tokyo Disneyland, which is more or less the Magic Kingdom, and then there's Tokyo Disney Sea, which really has no equivalent anywhere else on the planet. So it's kind of cool. Um, but it may be unknown to you. This is the 30th anniversary. We just had it in April. Um, and they just have had their 600 millionth guest at Tokyo Disneyland, um, which I think is just fantastic. Because uh, I remember at the time, I was I, I was even a stockholder back when it opened, 
uh, when I was like a tiny, tiny kid. And I was like so excited by it because it was like, ooh, Tokyo, what is Disney? What are we going to do? Uh, but it was very controversial. I remember reading the stock reports, not fully understanding them, but understanding enough to see they kind of went on a limb here. And maybe they got screwed because they gave away too much of the control over it. And there was all this stuff. Anyway, uh, it's cool to see that it is, has done very well and that, you know, even if it is only 10% interest, they're still Disney is still making a lot of money out of it. Anyway, uh, a cool thing is happening if you're for your planning purposes. If you are on the West Coast and you would like to take a trip, that way, instead of going to Disney World, um, the annual Star Festival, uh, which is a unique uh, Tokyo Disney thing. So it's kind of like a parade, but it only happens there. And it, it is not offered all the time. It's only seasonal. It'll be starting up again in late June through late July. So really only for a month. Uh, and in many ways, if you were going to go to Tokyo Disneyland, that, that's the time that I would recommend going just because it is sort of a special time, especially Japanese-themed time to go. Uh, and this year, they're not just having it at Tokyo Disneyland, but also Tokyo Disney Sea. So um, it's a much expanded thing. It's going to be a very, very, you know, extremely Japanese-themed kind of Disney experience. So if you're going, go between June and July of this year. And I guess that's about it that I've got. Alrighty. Um, for those of you who probably can't get, you know, don't have easy access to going to, 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 to one of the Disney theme parks, um, I did get a chance to watch uh, the new Mine Ride uh, on YouTube, uh, I guess they had some. Um, uh, they opened it especially for some people to, you know, you know, press and stuff like that to take a ride through. And there's this nice little uh, guided kind of tour through there, and them telling you what it's like. Um, it's a neat little ride actually, because it's, um, you know, you think mine ride, you think, oh, it's got going to, you know, you're going to have all these drops and stuff like that. It's actually, uh, uh, I call it a midpoint ride. It's not the slow little car ones that go through the animated figures like Small World and that. Um, and it's not a coaster. It's just kind of this nice little, you know, they've got these slopes and, you know, the the cars swing from side to side um, like a like a mine car, you know. Uh, as, so as you go around the corner, you know, the, the car kind of swings back and forth. Um, and the animatronics look really, really great. Um, so yeah, it's it's worth going to, and if, uh, if you can see who are visiting Florida, um, let me know because um, I'm just down the street. So yeah, um, I think that's what we have Ian? used. Yes. What I've noticed that's so interesting beyond them reaching back to classic properties, Disney, is the new synergy they're having with the new acquired properties. We see in their parades now entire. Uh, flanks of stormtroopers marching in the holiday parade. And then they have Darth Vader, I noticed, taking over for Santa Claus in a sled. So you had that happening. And at Disneyland in Los Angeles, they have some special things happening with Marvel characters. They have Odin's throne room, and you're able to meet and greet with uh, Thor himself. And they have an actor in full in full costume there. And they have artifacts from uh, Odin's throne room, and you get to, you know, see uh, Loki's helmet, Thor's hammer, and different artifacts of Asgard, which is really wonderful. 
And then recently, they had Captain America uh, doing a performance and making an appearance. And you have a photo opportunity you can take with uh, the dear captain himself. And they have a representation, a display of uh, all of his shields and hydro weapons and uh, the legend of Captain America. And that's just the beginning. We'll see, you know, uh, how far it's going to be done. Are we going to be seeing Avengers rides? Are we going to be seeing the world of Iron Man and all of that in the future? I mean, just kind of the tip of the iceberg now because uh, Disney is Marvel and Disney is Lucasfilm now. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the future. Yep. It's interesting to see them open up a, a, a new part, kind of like uh, University of the Island yeah. Adventure, which focused more on, you know, like superhero type stuff and and, uh, and things like that. Um, it'd be good to see them kind of open up a uh, a new wing. I mean, they kind of, um, uh, was it uh, Disney Hollywood Studios? But apparently that's a, quite a small park. I've never actually been to it. I haven't actually been to it yet, but apparently it's quite a small park. So I don't know if it's capable of handling a lot of new add-ons, et cetera. I don't know how much land they have around it. But, you know, Florida is the place to do it because they, they do have a lot of property there. Yeah, Universal had some connection, I mean, with the rides there in Orlando. And here in L.A. at uh, CityWalk, there was a uh, Marvel-themed restaurant some years back, now now long closed, but you, you'd go there, they'd have waiters dressed as superheroes, and you would have like a Hulk burger, and Captain America All-American Shake, and that whole thing. Yeah. It was, it was uh, a theme restaurant around superhero uh, properties, and the, the menu looked like a comic book and all of that. So. Alrighty. Like, yeah. Um, does anybody else have any news, surprise or otherwise? <laughs> nope. Nope. Nothing from Dave today. Wow. Yeah, he's taking it easy today. Yeah, we gotta we gotta go easy on him. He is he is approaching the same age as, as Yoda, or over. I don't know. Nine hundred is it this year? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, seeing as it is May the fourth. Um, Oh, actually, I do have a small piece of news before we continue on. See, it's all a mess. It's all a mess. It's always so controlled when Dave's in charge. Um, some of you may have uh, heard me talking about um, Orlando Nerdfest uh, later on this year. Um, all my all my wishes came true on Monday as Orlando Nerdfest announced that uh, Steam Powered Giraffe is in fact coming to uh, Orlando Nerdfest. And so my wife and I are for sure going, and uh, this will be our first chance to actually see the guys uh, live. So uh, really looking forward to it. Um, so uh, stay tuned here. I'm going to be doing some more uh, news about what's going on with Orlando and Nerdfest. Hopefully we'll get some of the uh, organizers on here, um, and uh, you'll hear a lot more about it in the coming months. Uh, but in case you don't know who Steam Powered Giraffe are, here they are. Hi, I'm Rabbit from Steam Powered Giraffe. And I'm the Spine from Steam Powered Giraffe. And you're listening to the Cultum Collective. Enjoy! And if you want to enjoy being part of the Cultum Collective, here's how you do it. If you enjoy listening, why not join the Collective and participate yourself? Or on TalkShoe, call ID 54821. 
Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a sit point, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. And there you go. So uh, we decided uh, a while back, actually, that we were going to um, do some uh, chat about uh, Star Wars, the Clone Wars. And it just so happened that, I don't know, this little thing called uh, May 4th was coming up. And we thought that would be kind of handy. Um, so we decided this um, this May the 4th to, to focus on the Clone Wars. Uh, one of the things that's happened recently uh, is that uh, it was added uh, to the streaming capabilities of Netflix, um, and also uh, all the way up to uh, Series 6 was included on there. I think it's ex- I think just Series 6 is exclusive to uh, to Netflix. Um, it had never been screened on Disney. I think I'm right in that. Somebody will correct me. They always do. I'm taking Dave's mistakes today, by the way, just in case anybody was wondering. You know, the oh, yeah, you have made, those. They, they, they do count against Dave. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, um, so I don't even know where to start. Dave, you're, you're usually so good at this. How do you make it sound so good? Uh, I, I go to other people. I go to other people and say, uh, "Would you like to just give us a little intro of the, the background of Clone Wars?" Although today's title, episode uh, two five four, the Clone Wars, talking mainly about seasons five and six, we need to get a little bit of an idea of um, you know where this all sits currently, at least of the moment. In the in the overall franchise, I'm hoping you'll. See, I'd, like to, I'd like to just go out and pick on Darth right away, but this seems unfair. <laughs> Hosting a show and then just saying, "Darth, help!" No. Um, I, I my experiences with uh, the Clone Wars was when it first aired on um, on uh, was it Cartoon Network? I think it started with, uh, and I mean, uh, the, I guess the first episode is. Uh, Actually, no, I'm making a mess of this. Darth, could you help me with the history of this? Because I know it precedes the series. It starts off with the, the, the movie that was in theaters, and then it picks up with uh, with the TV series. Well, there's sort of a backstage history, and then there's the um, the way that it was presented to the public. The initial thing that was presented to the public was the movie. Uh, which is Star Wars The Clone Wars. That's what it's called. I don't think there's any subtitle to it. Uh, And it was released um, pretty soon after uh, Revenge of the Sith. It would have been... Well, no, I guess it must have been 2008. But that's still, what, three years after the uh, episode three. Um, The thing is, though, and and it was not really critically well-received. It was... Um, by the standards of the animation that you will see in more current episodes, uh, quite a bit more primitive. Um, it's an important thing to watch, though, because it, it sets you up for the rest of the series. But it was not ever really intended to be a movie. Uh, they just, at the last minute, uh, I guess Lucasfilm said, well, put together the first three episodes into a movie package and we'll um, you know, see what happens with that. And that sort of rush job didn't, I, I mean, it sort of paid off for them. I don't think they lost any money on it, but they didn't make all that much money. I think it only made like 
$30 million or something like that, which for a Star Wars project is pretty paltry. Uh, and that may be only domestic figures. I don't know what it did, if anything, internationally. Uh, $99 um, million, I think, here. Total? Okay. $99 million domestic? Uh, that's what it says. Uh, I mean, yeah, it says budget uh, eight point five million, uh, box office ninety nine million. Wow! Well, wow! I would be surprised if that is the domestic figure, or but not terribly surprised. No, that's total. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that's total. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, so I mean, it obviously it made money, but um, and you know, it's fantastic return on investment, but it it's not exactly you know, at the normal level of a Star Wars film. And I think it, it it made people quite nervous. It was not regarded as the best uh, introduction that could have been made to the property. Uh, there were a lot of things. It left a lot of people with questions um, in the sense that, you know, you introduced something very controversial that was, you know, sticking the craw of many a Star Wars fan for years, and that is this notion that Anakin Skywalker had a Padawan, Somehow, between episode two and episode three, um, that was a bone of serious contention. Another thing that caused some difficulties at first was the early prominence of, um, I don't know what else you'd call it, but a comedy hut um, <laughs> in, in the form of uh, Zero the Hut with a weird like Louisiana Cajun accent. Um <laughs> Able to speak um, standard or collective basic or whatever it's called, um, and it, 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 in a sense, it just rubbed people the wrong way, or at least some Star Wars fans. Sound like you'd be right at home in Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, kind of, kind. I mean, very much. I yeah, sure. Modeled on Boss Hog, why not? Yeah. Um, but um, nevertheless, it. it it did introduce some interest. Uh, I mean, really, it did set up the entirety of the series. Um, and and there were things that were, you know, Zero the Hut becomes important later on in maybe a more substantial time, plot. I'd say, yeah, yeah, and and certainly Ahsoka becomes who is the Padawan for um, Anakin becomes much more important. There's also some some nice character building in that first film between Obi-Wan and Anakin that is picked up later on and used to some great effect, um, even as late as the most recent episodes. Um, so it's not like, you know, you have to eventually watch it if you want to fully understand the the entirety of the story. But at the same time, I think a lot of people at the time that they were watching it in 2008 kind of dismissed it as just kind of ridiculous. Um, and and certainly not the basis for an ongoing series. Now, what was interesting is that the next thing that was able to be seen, though probably not the next thing made, was um, the first episode of the series proper. And that's a fantastic story with Yoda. Um, that it was much more in the vein of what I think people were kind of hoping that the series might be about. And from then on, I think it, it was a series that gradually brought in more and more people. Now, what's fascinating about Clone Wars, and one of the reasons that I like it, is that it is very much modeled on 
the classic Doctor Who way of telling a story. That is to say, it's an anthological series. You don't know exactly what you're getting from week to week. Uh, but uh, you tend to have a series of um, serials, really. And that is increasingly true as you go through the, the um, seasons. Um, at the very beginning, in season one and season two, you might find some one-off episodes. In fact, you find quite a few one-off episodes. Or maybe you could find you know, a two-parter at best. But as you get f- moving forward, suddenly the – or not suddenly, but gradually the – series become dominated by, you know, three-part stories, four-part stories, five-part stories. Um, and in in some cases, you'll find, you know, story A of the series might connect into, you know, story E. Um, so that it becomes a much more in- integrated tale and certainly something that is familiar to Doctor Who fans, well, at least old-school Doctor Who fans, because, you know, you've got four episodes together, each of them are 25 minutes, and, you know, they form a complete serial, and then you go on to something that's completely different from the thing that you just saw. Um, what is one of the major bones of contention in fandom of this series is a um, the occasional observation that the name, the Clone Wars, does not always fit the content of the episodes and a common criticism that you'll hear is, all right, we just watched a two part story that had R2D2 and C3PO as, as you know, the major characters, those names are not in the title of the show, the clone wars It's supposed to be the clone wars. Why is it not clones all the time? Uh, and you get a real big split. I think in phantom of the series between people who believe that it should be entirely about the clones and the, war that they are engaged in and then you get people who are like well no it makes sense that you go from telling a story about the clones to telling a story about c-3po to telling a story about anakin to telling a story about padme to telling a story about mace windu or whatever that you get this this full uh understanding of the the war from a lot of different perspectives and and that's really what it became so whether you like it or not it is that it is the two-year gap or whatever between episode two and episode three as seen by a variety of different characters. And there are going to be times and there are going to be weeks where, you know, maybe the perspective that you have is not necessarily the one that you want to be seen. For instance, there may be, you know, a two-episode arc about Jar Jar Binks, and you may not like that, (laughs) but tough. You know, wait a little bit and you're going to get your, you know, five episode arc about the clones. And then, you know, you might after that get a two or three episode arc about what Padme has been up to in the Senate. And you may not like that, but tough. It's going to come. And, you know, in that way, there is a storyline lasting at least movie length for everybody's interest. So one of the, the, the really cool things about Clone Wars is. No matter what you like about Star Wars, you're going to have at least one new movie link thing in there in the six seasons that you're going to be able to grab and take out and say, you know what, I, I that story is as good as the stories that were told in theatrical release. I'm going to say to myself, that is, a, you know, a piece of my canon, and I'm going to run with that. Um, but that doesn't stop the fact that. Um, Fan, various fans at 
almost every point that the story has been on have criticized one arc or another. One big point of contention is um, the misfit between um, the continuity within this series and the continuity as it was established in the books that were written, say, from 2000 to 2008. Uh, All those books that were written to be supporting the prequel trilogy as it was released there's a lot of continuity misfit between that and Clone Wars. It's not like Filoni, Dave Filoni, who is the showrunner, who, who works alongside George Lucas to executive produce the series. It's not like he doesn't know about those um, stories. He's an avid reader of what was called, is called, used to be called, who knows, <laughs> the uh, expanded universe, because uh, he did. He, he read through all that stuff, but yet uh, he would occasionally you know, diverge from that. And he would, you know, on other occasions when George Lucas came up with a storyline, he'd say, well, you know, in these books over here, you know, the story was this way and they'd have a little talk about it and decide, you know, whether that was the story that they wanted to tell or whether they wanted to deliberately break the story. Because of course, at throughout most of the production history of the series, George Lucas outright owned the show. So he could do whatever the hell he wanted to and frequently did. Um, so it's it's an interesting thing, a show from the behind-the-scenes perspective, because Dave Filoni has been quite generous with his time and given interviews in a lot of different places um, in, in which, you know, he's shed some light into the story construction process and why on some occasions they may have stuck very firmly with things that were established in the expanded universe, why on other occasions they decided to break with that. Um, one of the most notorious examples of this philosophy, um, or phenomenon rather, is the treatment of Mandalorians. There are a few Mandalorian stories that are layered into the series. Uh, and certainly when the Mandalorians first appeared, there was a great deal of um, consternation amongst fans who had read especially books by Karen Travis, a... Uh, sort of infamous Star Wars writer um, who became eventually so disgruntled with the way that her ideas were not being incorporated into the visual medium that she stopped writing for Star Wars. Um, And, you know, fans who were very loyal to Karen Travis's vision of what Mandalore was supposed to be like were upset um, at least initially with the depiction of Mandalore, but eventually that story does kind of come back around to the to allow for Karen Travis's work to sort of fit in there if you squint the right way. Um, <laughs> so it's and, and I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean I think that there's it's not there's there's sort of a dangling thread, and you can either connect it or you cannot connect it in a sense. Um, and so it's it's kind of a lot of the, a lot of the fan reaction. I find it fascinating, really, because um, you don't exactly get this same sort of thing in, in Doctor Who at all. Because in Doctor Who, it's well established that there is no canon. So if you go outside the canon, you bitch about it for a week, but then you kind of forget about it because it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, but with Star Wars, of course, the issue of canonicity is essentially basic and fundamental and primal um and therefore it matters you know 
if you say that a certain Jedi, as happened in season five, I think, died in a certain way on screen, but that's fundamentally different than the way he died in books, you're going to get some fans saying, what? Hold on. (laughs) We need to go back and review that. Why did that happen? What's the deal? And which version is the important one? So the Star Wars fandom, if you're a Doctor Who fan, is a fascinating place because it is so opposite, really, to the experience that most of us in the Doctor Who community would have. Um, And nothing, nothing has been more demonstrative of the difference between Doctor Who and Star Wars fandom than the reaction fans have had to, to Clone Wars. And especially the reaction of the almost knee-jerk reaction, like you know, when when a when story A that happens in series two of Clone Wars hits the television screens, and fans say, "What the hell? That is completely different than what I thought was happening in this universe." They don't even a lot of them, uh, or a lot of us, because I mean, I consider myself a Star Wars fan too, um, won't necessarily consider the possibility that. There's a part two to this story that's coming, but it might not come for three more years. You know, it's it, the reaction is immediate. It's visceral. It doesn't really take into account the possibility of the future. And so it's fascinating to see that reaction, say, in 2009, and then, you know, go back to forums or whatever in 2010 or 11, where suddenly that thing that they were upset about in 2009 has been resolved in a way that is much more pleasing to their interests and to their knowledge of what the expanded universe is. And then you're like, oh, wow, these people who are really upset suddenly are not so upset anymore. (laughs) Suddenly it's like, oh, it all knitted together. And they're like, oh, that was very clever. You know, there is a certain, you know, in Doctor Who fandom, though perhaps this podcast doesn't exhibit it too well, there is a certain... You know, in RTD we trust, in our in Moffat we trust mentality. That is, if something doesn't seem to be working at one point, there's a belief that eventually the the circle will be squared. Um, that does not really obtain at all in Star Wars fandom, at least in, in a lot of vocal sections of Star Wars fandom. And it, it, if you want a fascinating look at the difference between Star Wars fandom and Doctor Who fandom. Seriously, just look at some there, – there are a number of podcasts which discuss each episode in, in great detail. It's sort of the same way that we do with Dr. Who's things. Um, and it's, it's fascinating. You know, search for you know, podcasts, Mandalore Arc, Clone Wars, whatever. And you know, listen to some podcasts that happened in 2010 and then compare them to podcasts that happened in 2012 about the same subject. And you'll see, you'll see people – really moderate their stance go from just you know absolute sort of hatred almost of George Lucas to oh wow that was that was cool I like how that worked out you know um and it's, it's just it's fascinating that way and and, and that's a, a a testament in a sense to the at least for America um different narrative structure that Clone Wars has. Now, we know as Doctor Who fans, this is not an extraordinary structure at all. But 
it is quite unusual in America to have this serialized format. It doesn't. Uh, there's not too many analogs for it, um, except for, of course, the old uh, movie serials that happen, you know, in the 30s to the 50s or whatever. And that's, of course, what Star Wars is based on anyway. Um, but it, it's not a phenomenon that a lot of American consumers are aware of. And so, therefore, I think that's why there is sometimes an appalling lack of faith in the uh, producers of the content because there's not any kind of um, expectation that after a, a plot arc is finished, that that plot arc will be picked up three or four years later. Whereas, you know, we're kind of used to that. You know, if there is a, a deadly assassin, there will be an arc of infinity kind of, um, if there is a war games, there will eventually be a trial of the time Lord, you know, uh, and whether trial of the time Lord makes war games better is another matter. But nevertheless, in, in Doctor Who Phantom, it's much more common to revisit a particular storyline years later, and therefore, you know, you have a different experience with the narrative content. Um, but so that aspect of, of Star Wars Clone Wars is fascinating to me, just how, you know, the narrative ebbs and flows and all that. Uh, the other thing that's really great, you know, from a technical standpoint is to see the evolution of computer technology, it is remarkable in this series. If you go back to season one and you look at those initial episodes and then compare them to the ones that have just occurred in 2014 on Netflix, it's night and day. I mean, yes, you can see a commonality of design, but it, it really is. I mean, it's been whatever, five or six years anyway, but it, it seems like it's more than five or six years of, um, predictable development. It seems like they have been sort of more exponentially developing things out, especially if you are looking at this thing in Blu-ray on a HDTV that is relatively large. You'll be like blown away by the later stuff. And the earlier stuff, you'll be like, that's you know kind of acceptable. Um, it, that part of it is is fascinating, the design sensibility. Uh, I think also the narrative complexity things, and you may not always be happy with the way in which certain storylines end up, but the chances are that the storytelling will be more satisfying as you get further down the road. Um, there, there are fewer misses, I think, and there are fewer opportunities for missing because, again, what happens is you, you go from a basically, you know, one-a-week structure to the stories uh, to something that is much more like five stories a season, each story taking, you know, somewhere between three and five episodes. Um, so it, it's, it's you know, a fascinating show from that perspective. Um, the... Other thing is, of course, the consistently great voice acting. There are only a few moments where the act, voice acting is not really acceptable. I think it's I think it's fair to say that the initial interpretation of Jar Jar, which is not done by Ahmed Best, who is the originator of the character, um, was not acceptable. <laughs> uh, that is the season. Is it season one? I think it is season the Blue Virus two parter. That's not Ahmed Best. It is really horrible. It's a caricature of a character who is already 
um, let's call them heightened reality. Um, hmm. So therefore, it comes across as, as particularly profound, profoundly bad. Uh, there are a few other examples where some guest stars just kind of don't land in the right place. Um, but what is interesting is the extent to which um, the show doesn't use the originating actors, but nevertheless, uh, you don't notice that. In fact, you kind of think that's got to be like Tom Kane doing Yoda. I'm sorry, but it, it in a way it's better than Frank Oz. You're right. Um, you are right. And, and in fact, there Tom Kane has given an interview once where um, he or his agent or Filoni or somebody uh, reached out to Frank Oz and said, you know, obviously this is your character. If you want to do it, just tell us and job's yours, you know. And Frank Oz listened to some of the stuff that Tom Kane was doing and said, why do you need me? <laughs> He's uh, better and cheaper. So, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so there's that stuff. There's also um, some, you know, th- there certainly is the the large uh, – it's my sense of the fan community that everybody would sort of agree that the Anakin voice here played by, it was a Tom Lanter, Lanter, Lantern. I forget if there's an name. Matt Lanter. Matt Lanter. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, is better. I mean, than Hayden Christensen. And I think so. I mean, I, I, I totally believe in this, you know, voice acting, you know, quite well. Um, Is there any question? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I, at the time, before this came around, I really didn't have a problem with Aiden Christensen. But now that you kind of see what um, Matt Lanner is doing to it, you're like, yeah, yeah, really. Especially in, in episode three. Also, he three, had more time to, to work with the characters. Think about yeah. it. Sure, absolutely. And, and not only that, but he got to absorb the, the criticism of Hayden Christensen and therefore adjust accordingly. And Filoni is there. uh to sort of guide him because the way that Filoni does the cast sessions apparently is, you know, to really try to get people together in some way, um, at least in some groups, not, not everybody together, not like with like a big finish recording or whatever, but he does try to get little nuclei of uh, the cast together to do some kind of acting off each other where that's possible. And so therefore, you know, there's an, there's an ability to massage the voice acting, um, and you know, there, there's always the observation, and I think a good one, that voice acting is easier than uh, you know fully acting in front of a camera, especially when you're doing you know little micro scenes that the editor is eventually going to knit together. You know, with with the voice acting, at least you get to play out the entirety of the scene, so therefore your emotions are probably you know going to be in the right place. You know, but anyway, um, lots of good voice acting throughout the series um, makes it really compelling, especially when that's with, with visuals that are getting increasingly better. Um, and also, you know, sort of having a clear notion of what they were trying to do with the Ahsoka character who was originally divisive, you know, because it didn't particularly make sense that there was this Padawan injected into the timeline. And yet by the time that, um, the series is over, you do kind of see 
what's going on there, and then there's the, the massive question that's hanging in the air as to whether that what happens to that character? You know, has that character been deliberately left ambiguous so that perhaps a return in episode seven might be possible? It certainly is narratively possible. Um, well, to but, give you a breather, I have a clip for that. Yeah. Oh, good. I need to talk to you. Why are you doing this? The council didn't trust me. So how can I trust myself? What about me? I believed in you. I stood by you. I know you believe in me, Anakin. And I'm grateful for that. But this isn't about you. I can't stay here any longer. Not now. The Jedi Order is your life. You can't just throw it away like this. Ahsoka, you are making a mistake. Maybe. But I have to sort this out on my own. Without the Council. And without you. I understand. More than you realize, I understand wanting to walk away from the Order. I know. Right in that small section there, mm. you know. The I mean, you can you can you can read so much into what's going on there, and and the surprise bit is when she says, "I know," um, which makes you wonder what does she know, you know? And I I love that we don't know what happened to Ahsoka. I like yeah. this a lot better. <laughs> it's brilliant, it's, brilliant. It's yeah. nice to know that she may have escaped, you know. Yeah, I mean that that certainly seems you hope. You know, in the episode thing, seven, then there certainly there is the possibility it should be in Rebels. Sorry, mm. yeah. that's okay. Um, the one thing I I say because after watching all the Clone Wars in a in a fairly uh, short stretch, not as short as uh, as Jeff managed, um, but uh, still pretty <laughs> pretty brief. Um, I decided to, to to cap off everything and watch uh, Revenge of the Sith. And was very disappointed in Revenge of the Sith because of what I'd experienced in in the Clone Wars, uh, and and I'm going to start up a petition to to ask uh, uh, Matt Lanter to, to come in and, and overdub all of Hayden Christensen's lines because <laughs> maybe that'll improve uh, improve it for me because uh, I'm like we went from this you know confident Jedi to um, basically you know. Whinging teenager, um, <laughs> and, it, yeah. and it's quite a quite a bit of a letdown. And you're like, oh god. But the neat mm. thing about uh, that I found about Clone Wars, um, if you're not huge into, I mean, I've watched the movies, I haven't read a single book, 
or, or delve too much into to, to online fandom. Uh, but the neat thing that, that, that Clone Wars does for you is it really kind of, it, it, it does expand the, the universe. It expands, uh, excuse the uh, motorcycle, uh, it does expand um, what the Jedi do. You get to see more than, you know, um, you get to see all the Jedi doing stuff. You get to see um, Plo Koon. God, what a great voice there, too. Um, it, it, it's funny, actually, watching the movies again and going and picking these... Uh, the characters that they picked out of the movies and fleshed out um, surprised me. You know, people you just see as background characters, you have no idea who they are. It's just guy on the back who's got the tentacle things on his head, uh, and he's blue, and he's big, and he's fat. No, they completely expand his part in in in, uh, in the Clone Wars. It's it's fantastic. Um, it just really kind of fleshes everything out. And so, if you're like me and not that big into it, and you're like, "Oh, this was just a cartoon," no, go go watch it because it really is worthwhile. You kind of get this nice full story that happens in between, and. You know, you get an idea of the war rather than these, you know, brief scenes and because um, there's only so much they can do in the movies. But this really kind of fleshes everything out. And, you know, unfortunately, when you get to Revenge of the Sith, you get this kind of, uh, there's a there's a mismatch on, on some things that happen, like uh, them, they're, they're meeting with uh, General Grievous, uh, some lines are exchanged with, with Dooku in the opening, that, that they're just like, oh no, that that doesn't work, you know. Um, but aside from that, it's it's all good. Uh, hey, Ian. Yes. I I had friends who like gotten I would so to say burned, being anti George Lucas, anti Star Wars, from from the prequels, mm-hmm. and I, in the beginning, I didn't didn't care that much for the Clone Wars film itself. But in starting to watch, and from that first episode with Yoda, I was just so intrigued with it, and all the different worlds, and how you get into the lives of the clones themselves, and 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 all the richness of it. I was told friends who were burnt on it, give this a chance. And I had one specific friend, I mean, he had a um, eight-year-old daughter at the time, who, because they had the brilliant character of Ashoka Tano, and what a great empowerment tool for young girls everywhere. Wow, a female character right in the trenches, and she's growing up as you grow up. And that character was growing up, and as she was having troubles in school and life, she's seeing Ashoka tackle these problems, get more mature, more sure of herself. And Ashley Eckstein does the most remarkable job with that character, and the whole you see the growth of it all through the years to that that scene that that you played, that whole drama of, well, it's it's a tragedy, but it's also a really a triumph because she's so sure of integrity, she's going to walk away because they've lost faith in her, but she never lost faith in herself and in them, and that's you know why she has to walk away. But it's so dramatic and so good, and this friend of mine who didn't like it. He adores the show. He bought everything on DVD for her. And she's a graduate student now with honors. And she wrote me a letter thanking me, you know, uh, for 
letting her know about that show because there was no interest in it. I wasn't thrilled with that. So. But it's just how, how kind of important and nice in, in all the animated series to have such a strong, really vibrant female character. And that's not even to say against what they do with Padme, who who just grows so much. It's you know Natalie Portman would have loved to have uh, to have played the character they have in the Clone Wars mm-hmm. rather than what they did in the movie. A lot of her best scenes were on the cutting room uh, floor in Clones, and what they do with her, especially the storyline. I don't know the character's name, but her friend who happens to be a separatist, and how that 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 plagues her 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 moral self and spiritually and and in trying to defend and trying to to say well how how can i uh, go on you know defending what i'm defending and seeing her from her side uh, just really vibrant stuff and i don't want to go too much because everybody's have, have their say on this but the animation you forget you're watching animation after a while and that's the best thing you're just delving right into these great movie arcs and an overreaching arc every season. And it's the whole sense and feeling, especially that uh, the end of season five. You're watching Ralph McQuarrie's whole world come to life. Those backgrounds are, are just breathtaking. And uh, the use of the, of the ships and the weaponry and the character designs, you know, that's the purity of why we love Star Wars up there, and that's hooray for George Lucas and that, and Dave Filoni for bringing it all together with with that the talent and the creativity that they have. You know, it's it's just great stuff. And I I'm not going to say that about the prequel trilogy in all cases. There are things I'm I'm really yeah it's okay on some on some <laughs> stuff, but but Clone Wars, fantastic, just fantastic. Yep. All right, um, Jeff, are you available? Sorry, I was uh, self-muted there. Okay. Uh, you, you know, you, we, we've talked about the animation and um, the artistic uh, qualities of it. A- at times, it felt like I was watching a movie, a, a theatrical film, live action with with the animation style and other times especially when it came to characters faces i thought boy that looks i don't know cubic or something you know it just looked like geometric shapes at times with different things especially dealing with faces Hmm. but um i I love this series it's it's a great series and i i gotta say that um I was a big computer gamer back in the day, probably you know, 10, 20 years ago. I, I played a lot of computer games, and one of the series that I played quite a lot of was the Jedi Knight series, the Dark Forces Jedi Knight series uh, that was on the PCs and Macs. And this series almost makes me want to go back and play them again because you get to play with those Force powers uh, pushing people away or grabbing stuff from them, using a lightsaber. and um, th- This series just made me feel almost like I was back in those games. Uh, those games had uh, complicated stories. You, you had uh, puzzles to solve, things to figure out, 
and you're you're just running around, you know, playing a Jedi Knight, and that's what I felt a lot of times watching this series, especially of course with Anakin and Obi Wan, uh, when the story is centered on them. But one of the things I was surprised about, and Darth touched on this earlier, was um, I was expecting most of the stories to focus on Anakin or Obi-Wan, and it wasn't that. And I was surprised by that, and I'm glad it wasn't all about them. Um, It's good to have all these other characters all fleshed out. Uh, You get their backstories, you get to know them better, and it makes the whole universe richer and more interesting. Uh, I was trying to count up while everyone else was talking the number of worlds that we saw in the the six theatrical films, and I came up with, I don't know, about a dozen. How many did we see throughout this whole series? Far more than that. We got to see some of them that we did see in the in the movies as well, and and that they were brought out and fleshed out even more than what we saw in those movies. Uh, I, I just felt that the whole Star Wars universe is much richer for having this series. I'm, I'm glad that uh, George Lucas went ahead and did this. Um, and I, I'm glad to hear that it's part of the canon, the official canon of the, of the um, mythos. Um, I, I think we'd be missing a whole lot without it in the mythos. Now, I, I know you, you said you picked up on a couple of uh, things that don't quite jive in uh, Return, uh, Revenge of the Sith. And we already had that a little bit with the prequel movies and the original trilogy uh, movies, Uh, especially uh, the one that sticks out to me is Leia saying that she remembered her mother, which with the prequels, that kind of can't be. Um, Oh, it could be. uh, Oh, could it? it? Uh, All right. You could have visions as a Jedi. Yeah, exactly. She's Force user. Yeah. Well, I she suppose she had dreams point of her there. mother being sad. Prior to, if you think about all the lead up to to her having the kids, she was really really sad because of what was going on and everything, and she was crying. And it was just prior to the birth, so that's got to be affecting a child, the child. And so if you think about it, um, Anakin had visions all the time of the, of the future. Why not having you know future uh, visions of the past? I I, I suppose. You can, uh, you can you can you can make it work. You can make it work. <laughs> I did. <laughs> well, I guess it's like it, Doctor it, Who. You you could make anything work in Doctor Who as well. <laughs> uh, well, Dr. I don't know about Dr. that. I think I think this is a little stronger because I mean I think there is there's definitely precedent for um, the exact line in Return of the Jedi that she gives, and that you know, I, not much really. Just impressions that certainly seems to jive with the kind of um, vision that we see Anakin having in the like real one of uh, episode three. Um, so that I mean I think that there is a little bit more to this than just your standard. Let me see if I can retcon sixties Doctor Who with twenty first century Doctor Who kind of thing. This is more along the lines of there is an established. Uh, Jedi trait or force wielding trait of um, 
you know, seeing into the future, seeing into the past, you know, there's there's that going on. The real test of whether that works out, that will probably come in Episode 7. Um, one would assume that there might be some kind of, uh, I don't know, so, some attempt in Episode 7 to knit together something uh, between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy. One of the things I liked, and this is a, a segue into a, another clip that I've got here, is um, how they set up uh, in Clone Wars uh, why Yoda goes to Dagobah um, and what he's doing there. It's like this man, this, this you know, master of the Force, who's been basically, you know, his home was was um, was uh, the Jedi um, temple. You know, for years and years and years, and now he's lurking around in a swamp. Um, well, they they explain that, and here's this little clip. Here's this little clip. Yes, stay with the ship, you may. This task, for me alone, it is. Here I am, ready for my next instruction, Master Qui-Gon. Yoda, my old friend. You have come at last. Cry, Gandhi. Really you? It is? It is. Losing my mind, I am not? No, my friend, no. Why have you brought me here? Follow the light. The light will be your guide. Jumping at this point, Ian, that's one of no, the things. Uh, <laughs> well, you're the boss. Go ahead. You're um, the, the, you had Liam Neeson there reprising his role. I, I was just looking at the uh, the Wikipedia page there, and there's about 25 special guest voices. Um, mm. uh, people that come in. Uh, Seth Green comes in as Ian Papalonia, is it? Mark Hamill as Darth Bane. Um, Liam Neeson, as you just did, is uh, Qui 
Gone Gin, is it? Simon Pegg as Degar, Ron Perlman as Guy Nakic, is that? Mm-hmm. George Tucky. Oh, George Tucky. Well, oh, 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 well, I should have. Yeah. Okay, but we might. Rhymes with gay. I, I should have let uh, Ken do that one. Um. Oh, my. <laughs> Don't say Tucky. Don't say gay. Say Tucky. Playing <laughs> <laughs> got. Got third or something. David Tennant in there. Hugh Gang, is it? And quite a lot of Michael York as well. So, um, I mean, the very fact that it's attracting people like that that want to have a connection with it, uh, it was was great. Tim Curry as Chancellor Palpatine is on a regular basis. I mean, God. Amazing. uh, David Tennant Tennant won an award for um, Hayoum. It was funny, it wasn't until about, I think it was like five minutes into the episode that I realized it was David Tennant. They were like, oh, hey, I know that voice. If Clancy Brown, uh, Savage Opress. Well, yeah. Right. If you're going to oh. get somebody evil with oh. an evil voice, Eagle you're going to Clancy Brown. <laughs> yeah, and, and, for, uh, and for Mr. Krabs and SpongeBob. Mm-hmm. Like you said, great evil. I actually thought Liam Neeson sounded better than he did in the movies. He sounded a little bit less stiff and overly formal as uh, the, 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 you know in, in in the earlier film they were like that, weren't they? And uh, uh, anyway, that that was just a comment I want to make. As most people I'm, I'm thinking about seeing today, but enjoying it immensely. Um, so great. You know, something Jeff was saying about the animation, how good is it? Like totally agree with that when I was saying my bet. Other shows um, have done you know CGI type of computer animation. Uh, there was a Green Lantern series and also one called The Batman that was recently on two Warner Brothers shows. I watched those and it's like these stiff characters in uh, mediocre computer backgrounds. And I... I and, and, it looks like an old aha music video or, or, or something, and it, it just doesn't work. But you watch Clone Wars after a while, and as the seasons go on, and you think you're watching the best Star Wars movie ever. You forget it's animated. You uh, are just drawn into the characters and the expressions and the worlds, and you go like, "Yeah, wow!" You know, and just oh. it's it, it, it's it's amazing. Uh, and I, it's, I it's so wide, isn't it? As well, it's, sorry. Jeff, it's the That's it's okay. the uh, twenty one nine, isn't it? It's um, it's really wide screen, which uh, I bet it would look great if you had a projector. Well, even going from just season five to series or season six, I noticed a huge upgrade in the quality, or at least I perceived it as a huge upgrade. Right. Well, that that might be it, Jeff, because I I've only had time to watch uh, the sixth series, so I, I'm going on a, on the look of that. Yeah, the sixth season was just phenomenal. Hello. I think Ian probably had to mute. He might have had background. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I concur. Well, he was. It was a disturbance in the force. <laughs> as, if, as if millions of listeners weren't hearing our podcast. Well, the interesting thing that's been done with with the show is that, um, and I remember 
I don't remember the the entire conversation because I was traveling at the time. But uh, the 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 podcast that brought me home from uh, from Timegate, I had a long drive ahead of me, um, and uh, was listening to you guys uh, live uh, as I was driving home, uh, talking about um, and, and basically having Darth <laughs> Darth uh, serenade me home, talking about um, the the end of of the Clone Wars and. Um, and then we get basically uh, Netflix announcing that uh, that they were putting it up there. Plus, they would have this these extra episodes that hadn't been screened, um, and so that was a, a great thing. Um, I don't know what um, what your thoughts on that were about about it basically being locked into Netflix and, and its availability and and the fact that. You know, you know if you get to see these, and now you know they are available. Well, I mean, it worked. It got me to buy Netflix. So, you know. <laughs> kudos to them on a successful business plan. Um, but no, I mean, I think that that's a, one of the interesting things, of course, about that particular development is that it means that Series Six is on a different network, really. Than series one through five, and you can really tell it because I think that there are things that happen, particularly in the first arc, uh, which we've not really talked about at all. The uh, the you know the particular nature of the last series, but the, the first arc of the, the last series is to do with uh, Order sixty six and how that uh, was all operationalized, really. And I. I mean, I just don't think that they could have told that exact same story in that exact same way had it been on Cartoon Network. There's a there's a more adult feel to what's happening with the last series because they are free from the burden of, you know, meeting standards and practices uh, for, well, Saturday morning TV. Um, and indeed, that's that's another thing that is interesting when you watch the series is you got to understand that series one through four were for... Friday night TV at I think 8 p.m. Eastern or maybe that's central. It might even be 9 p.m. Eastern, but nevertheless, nighttime TV on a Friday night, whereas Series 5 is Saturday morning TV again, and I think that there are some um, slight contentual differences between Series 5 and Series 1 through 4. I think that they do occasionally pull their punches where they might not have done so if it was still on a Friday night. Certainly, it is true that Series 6, you know, there's no concession whatsoever, I don't think, to kids. Um, You know, I mean, in Series 6, Jar Jar is paired with Mace Windu. And, you know, that kind of tells you where Series 6 is at. I mean, yes, we're still trying to do things as you, as has been done every single season. There is an attempt to move the character of Jar Jar along, make character of Jar Jar more relevant, uh, and that certainly was the case in the series six. But I mean, good lord, by pairing him with Mace Windu, you are you are putting that character in a totally different realm than where he had been before. Also, giving Jar Jar a love interest was, you know, unexpected and. Um, I mean, there's nothing explicit that happens. Oh, well, then play the clip. By all means. 
Chancellor, am I to understand the Queen requested Representative Binks go alone to Baldotta? I'm afraid she was quite specific on that point. I think that course of action is unwise. If there is trouble on Baldotta, I'm afraid Representative Binks will be... Which is why I came to you. We await your decision. Are you volunteering to undertake this mission, Master Windu? If the Council agrees, yes. Do not touch anything. Uh, these are not doing nothing. Representative Binks, I do not mean to be presumptuous, but are you sure you are the delegate the Queen spoke of? Yep. The Queen is Nisa Paolo. We've known her for a longer time. <sighs> <laughs> I just love Mace Windows. <sighs> no, it, it, that's genius because it's like a character that we maybe didn't want to have too much of in the movies. He's used in such a delightful and wonderful way, utilizing strengths and weaknesses and played off on other characters, you know, Bombad Jedi in, in earlier episodes and the way he's used here. Um, Clone Wars makes me love Jar Jar Binks. You can quote me on this. But Clone Wars does the impossible. You know, amazing, amazing thing there. Yeah, there's, there's also a, an earlier one, too. I think season one, season two, where uh, he gets mistaken for a Jedi and, 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 and plays the, the, the part for... That's the one, Bombad yeah. Jedi. Yeah, really yeah. Was, and yeah. I, I thought it was brilliant. It was well done. It kind of made you like, hey, yeah, he's saving the day. <laughs> I'm just yeah. reading here something about the, the, the running on as well. I mean, most of the seasons were 22, but it says season five uh, dropped to 20, but it says... Um, the episodes for season five were released to DVD and Blu-ray in chronological order as opposed to broadcast order. They didn't mess it about, did they, at, at that point? Oh, sorry, you're talking about the misfit uh, between uh, yeah. production and... Yeah, yeah, that is that is a problem that has existed throughout the entirety of the series, except for maybe this last one. Um It's not a problem anymore. Let's put it that way. One of, one of the great things about the destruction of the EU is it makes it much simpler. Uh, and there was always... Actually, yeah, that's not true. It is a little bit of a problem because we still don't know exactly how the episodes fit together with res, uh, with respect to each other. Uh, but before, it was a much bigger problem because it was not only how do they fit with respect to each other, but how do they fit with respect to the existing canon which at that time would have included, to some small degree, the you know books and expanded universe and comic strips and things like that. Now that those have all been removed, then the only question remains is, well, you know, where is episode one of season one in relation to episode two of season one as broadcast? And I think that still has to be determined. I could be wrong. It might be that Leland Chi, who is the, the keeper of the holocron, that is the, the person who is paid by Lucasfilm to... Um, make the continuity work out and who may have just lost his job. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what he has to do now, um, but um, he probably hasn't lost his job, but still he has less to do. One would think now that all of the expanded universe is gone. 
he kept saying uh, throughout the the time that the show was broadcast that you know when we get to the end of the show you know I'll go back through and I'll I'll tell you what the order is I not entirely sure because I don't really care um, but I don't think that he's actually done that yet um, and I really do wonder what his exact position is now uh, I, I haven't studied it all so I'm totally speaking without knowledge but I, I do kind of wonder what he what kind of job he has now um, before he, he was quite a precious resource now if you're going to destroy the expanded universe I don't know what in the world he does but anyway um, there is a, a problem when you're watching these stories that you don't quite know when, especially in early seasons, uh, they are meant to be relative to each other. And and definitely, uh, we know the production order because we have full production codes for the series. Um, and it's very clear when you, you know, try to figure out, when you rectify the production order versus the broadcast order, there is virtually no match. Um, it is all over the place. Uh, so... That makes it that makes it difficult to assert either one, either production order or broadcast order as narrative order, because uh, it's just not clear which one is meant to take primacy. So it's tricky. But I, I think if you if you take the right approach to this and just say, well, they're all vignettes about what happened during the series. Very few of the stories depend upon. Really knowing with great precision, you know, who, which one takes place relative to the other one. The most that they depend upon, by and large, is um, where where are they relative to episode two or episode three? That is, is it closer to episode three or is it closer to episode two? And And once you get that sort of vague notion and you're like okay i get kind of where this is I'm, I'm okay with this and and many of these stories it really doesn't matter where they are uh like there's a there's an arc from season oh five i guess where it's um a somewhat fan criticized arc but i i think it's cool because it's so different uh where the droids led by r2d2 uh, crash land on a planet that is a complete <laughs> void, uh, and it's an. It, I think it's an awesome episode. I, a lot of fans really don't like it. I mean, really venomously don't like it. Uh, but I think it's great, and um, it. Uh, but it doesn't matter, you know, where that is in terms of time context, because it the story isn't about time. It really is just. All right, here are some droids. They've landed on a planet. They're being led by a tiny Jedi sort of person. Um, <laughs> is, he, he, is he even a Jedi? I can't remember if he's even no, a Jedi. He, he's, well, he's a, well, it was he a map reader. He's a, yeah, but, yeah. A strategist type guy. Strategist, yeah. whatever, yeah. yeah. Um, they keep calling him a you map know. reader. <laughs> right. And uh, so, you know, does it matter that it happens? more towards episode three than towards episode two. Not really. It doesn't matter what time it happens. It could happen really between episode one and episode two. You know, it could happen effectively in the rebel era. Really, it could happen between episode four and episode five and still be as effective a story. 
So some of these stories, who cares what the time is? Some of them, it, it matters whether certain of the clone stories, because you get a development of, of clone character, it does matter knowing where you know one arc fits with another that way. But by and large, time is kind of irrelevant in these, as long as you know that you're they are taking place during the conflict known as the Clone Wars. That's kind of enough. Right, yeah. I, I just meant as well, within within the context of Season 5, it looks like um, the DVDs did a bit of reordering as well uh, from the oh, actual yeah. air, air dates. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that may be the clue. It, I, Yeah, that may be... I can't remember. I wish I had paid more attention to that. I wish it mattered to me. But I think you might be on to something there. I think it might be that the DVDs have the proper yeah. chronology. Well, that's what it's saying here. But, yeah. Having mm. said that, I, as I said, uh, that's why I'm stating that I only uh, I watched uh, uh, season six, uh, and most of those actually had a recap at the beginning. So uh, right. they must have been pretty much in order because they, they were recapping what I'd just seen in the previous episode. I think, yeah, season six, I think, is a clear exception. Season six is absolutely done. Well, I don't know if it's production order, because I haven't looked at the production codes for season six. But certainly, the way that it takes place, it it has to be in the right order. Because, in a sense, all of the arcs, I think all of the arcs have a little bit of the same narrative thread. It, I mean, the season, if you were to talk about what the season is, the season is about finding out who Cypher is, really, from... The Clone Wars, you know, the guy who apparently went and started uh, the production of the Clone Army. That is, that is sort of the narrative thread throughout all of those episodes. Right. Maybe, I might well, be thinking the Jar Jar episode, one doesn't. But. Episodes 5, 6, and 7 uh, seem to be out of context because they all have production code 4 where there's a 5. Uh, and uh, they're the Christian Taylor ones, uh, An Old Friend, Rise of Clovis, Christ of the Heart. They all start with a four, where the rest of season six start with a five. So, well, yeah, but but I think that what that's telling you is that the original order was for that to be the last thing of the season of season five. Um, but narratively, um, it definitely is a part of season five. Definitely, yeah. I mean, season six rather. Yeah, um, I mean the the I mean Jeff's the one that's watched. In a most condensed form, did did you ever get lost, Jeff, when you were watching? Uh, I mean, you would have noticed the continuity breaks, would you? No, I, I really didn't. And I, I think what Darth is saying about not caring when these happen is very true. Um, I I really didn't care too much. Well, was this happening before those stories? Was this you know, closer to two or th- episode three, it, it really didn't matter to me, and and I really didn't lose focus on what was going on from one arc to the next. Yeah, I think the only right, time but... I really is, is when we got into to series six, and I started wondering how close we were to uh, to episode three. You know, at what point? You know, are we within a week of of what happens there? Are we a month, two months? You know, what's the you know, when we leap off from here, where you know, where do we pick up? I mean, the Teratoski uh, series, which is no longer canon, took us right to the very instant 
at the beginning of the third film, right to uh, to Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're right there on the attack there, and they're in the ship, and they're they're going to get uh, Palpatine. So that no longer happens here. I I was wondering about how uh, DVD release. I mean, here we have a nice series one through five Blu-ray box set, and one's hoping they're going to release C, uh, series six uh, separately. Are they going to then release a series one through six box set and annoy everyone who purchased one through five? <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Oh, it's bound to happen. I mean, I just I just bought uh, the uh, the complete saga on Blu-ray uh, yesterday. I bought it for my wife. Uh, it's a Mother's Day present for for next week. You know, <laughs> I'm that kind. <laughs> yeah, I seem to notice something uh, about that. Yeah, very um, kind of you. I know. I'm 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 just you know the best husband ever. It's, it's a charm offensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's offensive, all right. <laughs> But but it's like I was thinking Megan, Megan was asking me. She goes, "Well, you know, now they're coming out with a new movie. Then you're gonna when the box set of that comes out, I'm like, oh, don't worry. When that comes out, we'll be on a whole new format. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be like <laughs> holocrons or <laughs> yeah, we'll be, yeah, we're think, watching it on our glasses. The, yeah, think of the James Bond fans who got about six James Bond all the movie sets yeah. each time. Each time they brought us the box set out. Yep, yeah, and they just You're right. the, the the 50th one out too. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll happen. <laughs> but uh, I did think that they they linked it up pretty good. Um, the spoilers, if you haven't watched the last, you know, uh, the last one is uh, uh, it ties in nicely with um, with episode three, I think, in a way that. You realize that Yoda, during that movie, knows more than he is telling, um, and he is keeping a lot under his uh, hood, I guess. Um, and, and, and there's there's a, a bit where um, he's in this, um, I guess you call it dream sequence or or this illusion that's mm-hmm. being created around him, where he is fighting against Sidious, and there's a part where they're both falling and there's a, a, a small bit where Yoda basically looks under the hood Sidious and knows who's there. And it's kind of, it kind of gives you a bit of a chill because then, then you go ahead and watch, you know, episode three and you're like, oh, little devil knows what's coming, you know, um, but he knows he's, you know, powerless to stop it. Um, so I'm going to play this clip right now and then um, towards the end uh, I'll play another clip that kind of you know, explain, well, it kind of plays into all of that Any hope that the Jedi can prevail is there There is always hope, my friend though it often comes in forms not looked for The key is knowing how to see it and seizing that opportunity I have been tasked with guiding you forward. There can be many outcomes, but your path is clear, Yoda. You have been chosen, as I was before you. For what chosen am I? You will learn to preserve your life force, and so manifest a consciousness 
which will allow you to commune with the living after death. How? Dark times are ahead, and forces of light must remain. This is the path of only a few Jedi. You will travel to one of the origins of all life in the galaxy. This place is where? The Force will be your guide. Goodbye, my friend. Yes, my friend. All right, I am. No. Back to Coruscant. We are not going yet. Afraid only begun our long journey has. There you go. Um, which I, I mean, that 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 whole little uh, storyline that goes goes there at the end of uh, of uh, series six, it, it really kind of sets everything up and very nicely too. Uh, whereas episode three kind of just throws everything into chaos, and then you're just left with kind of. I mean, you know what's coming in in, in a New Hope, but this kind of makes it seem a little more planned for um, on the part of the Jedi. You know, uh, they Yoda knows what's coming, so plans are made. Uh, he, you know, hides away on Dagobah, um, and the interesting thing that, that that I find about that particular clip is, to me, that that says since it was done so recently, that uh, could we be seeing Yoda uh, play a, a fairly sizable part in the next movie? Uh, because we only see him come as a, as a projection at the, at the very end of, uh, of, of Episode 6. Uh, so are we going to see more Yoda? Which I Mentoring cool. Luke and, and beyond. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're so. going to have a Council of Jedi, you know, uh, you know, have a secret little session with, with Yoda and Dagobah, you know, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be really kind of interesting. It's it because it kind of sets that up, if you ask me, that that we might see a lot more of them. Yeah. Spoilers, we want, do not. <laughs> Spoilers, you are after. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think, I think it's really this is. Right. I mean, but I, th- I think one of the more interesting things about this uh, last series of Clone Wars is indeed that last arc with um, Yoda, because it does so many things at once. It, it sort of is, uh, to the careful viewer of Star Wars, a um, something you just can't get your mind around fully for by just watching it one time. I think you have to go back and really detect a lot of the hidden meanings of it because it explains um, well first of all it ends the series uh, well sorry I should say it ends the season in a way that's satisfied it, it does tie up the mystery of Sifo-Dyas and and finally explains that but that is also obviously tying up a loose end that was never really adequately explained between films two and three um, so that's cool. That's a cool trick uh, that it's doing. Mm-hmm. The other thing it's doing is um, explaining 
as you say, why Yoda goes to Dagobah. So in that sense, it amplifies uh, episode five, mm-hmm. uh, which is fairly incredible. But it also amplifies episode three alone. And one of the biggest mysteries that I have never fully come to terms with in episode three is why does Yoda just stop the battle? He goes into the battle with um, the Emperor knowing and telling Obi-Wan, we got to kill this guy. We got to take him out. Accept no substitutes. That must happen. And then after a battle in which he's actually not losing, not really, hmm. um, he just sort of slips away. Why does he do that? It doesn't. It's not really explained terribly well in uh, Revenge of the Sith why he sort of gives up and goes on to um, Dagobah. And I think the great thing about this little arc here is that it explains exactly why he's doing that, because he knows at that point that the the greater power, the ultimate victory, is only going to come by uh, going off to Dagobah and, and learning more from Qui-Gon, because ultimately that's how the Jedi defeat the Sith, is by learning how to become truly immortal, because that's really what the struggle always is. That's what you get from that that great scene in the opera between um, the emperor and Anakin is the emperor is teasing this notion that he knows how to become immortal, but he really doesn't, you know, but nevertheless, the seduction of that is what brings Anakin to the dark side. Um, So that is the, that's the crux of what um, makes the fall happen. And the fall is obviously the focus, the, the fulcrum of the, um, Star Wars plot um, and then what Yoda discovers in Dagobah is how to actually become immortal. It's Qui-Gon Jinn who, who makes that happen and, and therefore offers a point of distinction and indeed superiority between the um, the Jedi and the Sith. So when Yoda falls down the Senate chamber, even though he's kind of winning, not winning, but he's holding his own to be sure, even though it's not at all clear that the emperor is, would win in the straight up battle. He goes away because he kind of realizes at that point that actually, even though he's just told Obi-Wan, we needed to kill this guy. It doesn't need to happen immediately. And the reason it doesn't need to happen immediately is because if you kill the emperor at that point, you're left with who? Because of the rule of two, you're left with Anakin. So the Sith aren't dead. The Sith would merely have a new ruler if he continues that fight. So that's why he slips away. And I think, too, the beautiful thing about the animation there, like you said, is it, it, the there's the dream sequence in which he's fighting the Emperor and he falls. And that's where the, the, the sequence ends. It, it right. ends with him letting go of that battle. And that is such a great foreshadowing for what's going to happen then in episode three. And so suddenly episode three just makes way more sense, at least to me. Um, I've actually got a, I've got that's a, great. If you can stop your thought there and pick it up and we're yeah. down. I've got a clip which it's from the very, very end of uh, yeah, big spoilers. Uh, <laughs> the end uh, the last episode, um, which really kind of sets all of that up and makes perfect sense. Yoda. 
Come back to us, Yoda. Died, have I? In a way. Now, does my training begin? The one you know as Qui-Gon Jinn will commune with you in regards to your training. Like us, you shall learn to maintain your consciousness after death. Enlightenment. Spirit. Balance. There is another. Council has assembled. They are eager to hear your report. Afraid. Not much there is to say of my journey. So, nothing significant happened to you out there? Yes. And no. To the end, we are coming now. Did your journey give you insight on how to win the war? No longer certain that one ever does win a war. I am. For in fighting the battles, the bloodshed. Already lost, we have. Yet, open to us, a path remains. That unknown for the Sith is. Through this path, victory we may yet find. Not victory in the Clone Wars, but victory for all time. Yeah, this would make a wonderful yeah. radio show. Oh, Just listening to this. Hmm? Uh, yeah, well, it's I mean, it's a radio show, really. Yeah. It, it definitely is true. It, when you hunt for clips and things like that, you get an awful... I'm sure Ian probably got an awful lot more uh, working with that audio, things that he may have missed on first watching. Right. That, that in particular, the, the 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 closing bit, you know, I watched it kind of, you know, before I got to work in the morning and and uh, and stuff, you know, when I got to Callum running around, but uh, you know, listening back to it, you're like, oh, you know, yeah, everything he said just at the end there, it's like, yeah, and and that to me, you know, with, with the way Darth just said, you know, the the fall, you know, it basically it's a repeat, he's he's falling, and then the realization hits him, it's like, no. You know, this isn't where the, the, the final battle is to be, you know. Um, and he makes good his escape because he knows what he has to do. Yeah, I mean, arguably he might have won. He might have lost. It's, I mean, he, we I don't mean, know how, it, it, how weakened he was. It doesn't matter. That, that it's, bit with the, with the force lightning, and, um, 
and, and, and Yoda's pushing her back, and the look of surprise on um, on the Emperor's face says yeah. an awful lot. And yeah. that's why it makes so little sense that when he falls down and he's still alive, he's not, yeah. not, not unconscious or anything. But it's the greater victory. Right. Uh, he's like, and time to go. <laughs> you pick your battles, right. you leave today, you, you, you lose the battle, you win the war. Right. Later right. on. Yeah, but that that I think without this little episode of the Clone Wars, it really is just the final episode. I mean, you could just watch that without the other two that are in the arc, and you'd be a little bit lost, but not wholly lost. Yeah. Um, you wouldn't have known that that's what's going on. I don't think in the in episode three. I mean, you, I've always kind of thought it was something vaguely like that. Like he, you know. Loses to win, and he should win. You know, whatever the five doctors little statement <laughs> yeah. there is, the game of wrestling. But it it doesn't. It's not explicit, and I think now it is explicit. Now it is okay. So he knows going into this battle before he even gets in the room. And in fact, that's why when he does get into the room, he he says, "All right, Palpatine." You know, he actually does name him mm-hmm. uh, as soon as he enters the Emperor's chamber, which. Uh, that's not really terribly clear by just watching episode three either. But now you're like, okay, he had this vision, but, and yes, he gets that the who his actual villain is. Yeah. But the, I mean, the great thing about this last episode is that it just informs that whole battle so much more, and that battle is at it. it, it it's so important for understanding the Star Wars story, at least as the story stands now with these six films, that to not have it explained was always a little bit problematic. I mean, to me, much more problematic than episode one, which I think is quite fabulous, really. I I think it's much better than most people think it is. Um, And and to me, the biggest detraction in the, or rather distraction, in the first three films is has always been, why does Yoda walk away? Because unless you understand why he walks away, Star Wars kind of doesn't make any sense. I mean, I think it's that big and broad a statement. You've got to understand why Yoda walks away in order to get what Star Wars is fundamentally about. And this episode underlines that. It gives you great rationale for it. It explain it finishes the series, it finishes the season, it finishes the story arc, it uh amplifies episode five, it it finally allows um Qui Gon Jinn to make sense. And, you know, I'm sure that Liam Neeson was happy about that because he was reported in two thousand five to have been disappointed because I think he had a a he broke his leg or something in, in two thousand five and that prevented him from going to film at the time that Lucas had allowed for him to film or something like that. Mm. And that's why those scenes didn't happen. It wasn't because Liam Neeson didn't want to come back. It was because he was actually physically unable to come back. And I think that's why um, they were able to persuade Liam Neeson himself to come back to voice, not just this. Well, I guess it's the episode before this one, really. Um, But also episodes in season, is it Five or four, whatever. It's, this is not the first time Liam Neeson has been in the series, um, and and that's one of the other great things about it, you know because there were preceding um, storylines having to do with Liam Neeson with 
Qui-Gon Jinn, this feels very natural. This feels like, okay, that that last appearance was only setting up this appearance. And so therefore, you, you tend to believe that this is an area of the plot that George Lucas really did sit down and think, you know, we've got to make sure that this is right. And so, you know, it, it feels like he's saved something that had to, because of situ- circumstances, end up on the cutting room floor back in 2004 when he was making Return of the Revenge. You feel like he has put it together in a great way. That he's he's actually saved that moment, and in, instead of it being this, you know, sort of mythological thing that only exists within the book of Revenge of the Sith, which is, by the way, by far the best adaptation adaptation of any movie ever made, frankly, um, unless you count The Godfather as an adaptation, which is probably not fair, but um, it's it it's just great how. You know, Liam Neeson saw this as important, saw that this was something that needed to happen in order to make sense of his time in Star Wars. And so, therefore, he was persuaded back to do it with a fantastic script. And at the at the end of watching it, I just think that nothing has done more to sort of tie together the prequel trilogy with the original trilogy and also to make sense of that thing that Lucas kept promising and promising and promising would be explained. That is, how does a Jedi disappear upon death? You know, from episode four, it's always been a mystery. You know, and and every time he gave an interview, he was like, oh, the next film I'm going to explain that. The next film I'm going to explain that. And he never did. And he got to the end of Revenge of the Sith, and you're like, what? You still didn't explain it? And you've got no more films to go? No, that's not right. You were supposed to explain that. And I think he finally did. And and explained it in a way that, to me, is satisfying and logical and makes sense. And um, just felt, th- that last arc just felt like magical, mysterious Star Wars again. And yet I'm pretty certain that somewhere in that script, there is the word midichlorian, which is interesting because that was the thing that people always, always, you know, pointed to with episode one is taking away the mystery. But I think actually not only does this last arc do all the things I've already mentioned, but it actually returns mystery and yet doesn't walk away from the word midichlorian, which I think is just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to have done. And it changes our perception. But it, like you say, it does return the mystery to it. And instead of just being automatic, that, well, that's what happens to a Jedi. They disappear, they get sparkly after, and they visit you, and they mentor you uh, from beyond the grave. No, Qui-Gon's the first, and you have to train. And it's something of great depth and learning and study, and it has to be earned. And that makes it, that makes it glorious. And what it yeah. does, and if you, if you, is it really... If you look it, at the narrative... I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. It really makes sense to me now um, when Darth Vader and, and, and Obi-Wan are fighting in, in A New Hope when he pulls his lightsaber up and he almost goes into meditation. Exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an absolute yeah. reason why he's stopping. It's not just to let him kill him. He's doing right. something. He's he's off. He tra- he's transitioning oh, to, yeah. to, to the force. Yeah. 
He's setting yeah. his... Yeah. yeah. That's it, good it, point. Yeah. It just hit me. I'm like, that's what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love yeah. Clone Wars. <laughs> Preparing for yeah, the I mean, it, The only thing left behind that really isn't explained in any way that I can think of. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the big mythological concepts, mm-hmm. not, you know, individual little continuity errors. But it, it really is the Anakin thing. Mm-hmm. And and yet there is an opportunity with film seven, eight, nine to maybe go back and explain why Anakin has the power to transition. Now there's a little bit, I mean, there's a little bit of groundwork laid because it is, after all, Anakin who discovers Qui Gon Jinn first, or well, Anakin and Obi Wan. Right. Um. Uh. So the notion that there is the ability to preserve oneself through the Force is clearly in Anakin's head. And it, you know, one of the great things about that meeting with the, the sort of ghost Qui Gon is that that sets up Anakin as being susceptible to the notion of uh, trying to find a way to become immortal, and so therefore it sets up his fall, right? Mm. So that's great, um, but I still don't think that there is a clear line of training that would allow Anakin to. Come over to the dark. Uh, come not dark side. Come over. Come back to the light, and therefore, you know, make the transition to ghostliness, as it were. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a little bit unfortunate. But there still is a way to you know make that happen if J.J. Abrams thinks it's important, and if George Lucas, who you know clearly is still involved, also thinks it's important. There's a way to do that still. Um, but that is not explained, and so that that remains a little bit unsatisfying. But only a little bit. I mean, my God, how much more can you expect out of you know essentially one single thirty-minute episode? I mean, it, yes, it has two episodes before it, but the you know the the bulk of what happens is in that thirty. And not only that, but I mean, my God, <laughs> I forgot about this thing too. It also neatly preserves something from the EU that is very important to a lot of people. Um, in in the character that Mark Hamill is playing, the the Darth Bane character, by putting that into Clone Wars, Darth Bane is not just in the EU, but now or not in whatever the EU, you know, wherever the EU exists now, which is on another plane of existence apparently. Um, now that's in G level canon, and so therefore, it's real, you know, and that's really important because Darth Bane is a, you know. A really important character, if you've devoted any amount of time to the EU, that's one of the characters you wanted to be lifeboated, and it certainly was. And not just lifeboated, but also presented in sort of a magnificent way. Mm. And, and and you couldn't have asked for a neater little thing than right at the very end, um, Mark Hamill coming on board and providing that voice. And therefore, you know, it, you know, from a behind-the-scenes way, what's neat is, uh, you know, the last little bit of the prequel era stuff that's been produced by Lucasfilm uh, has Mark Hamill in it, leading forward into you know the next stuff that's going to happen, which is kind of a cool little behind-the-scenes symmetry. But just. I am I am at really in awe of all the narrative burden that there was for that last arc and how really it completely almost completely 
hit it out of the ballpark. Um, and also, you know, there's the other thing that we've not really talked about, and that is the the symmetry that it allows for the entirety of the Clone Wars series in that um, if you talk about the series as if you're going to divorce the movie from the series, which a lot of people would, um, then it means that the first and last stories are Yoda centric, which is kind of cool um, and, and nice little bookends. And you get, you get to see the difference between Yoda. You actually get character development for Yoda. I mean, honestly, if you go back and you look at that very first episode, and you compare it to this very last episode, you see, you know, the very first episode is Yoda as general, as, you know, wise counsel, but nevertheless somebody who is definitely trying to win this war as he sees it, to the new Yoda, the the, old, the original trilogy Yoda, hmm. um, which is a, a different beast, really. You know, there, a lot of people complained in the prequel era or about the prequel trilogies, that Yoda doesn't feel like Yoda. Well, Yoda doesn't feel like Yoda because Yoda isn't Yoda yet. You know, you have to give Yoda character definition in order for Yoda to end up being the dude who ends up on Dagobah and doesn't recognize R2-D2, which, by the way, another fabulous thing about that last arc is it's R2-D2 on Dagobah, um, <laughs> R2, and, and Yoda absolutely knowing who R2-D2 is so that that informs the scene that you see later uh, where he disavows any knowledge of R2-D2 when clearly he knows who R2 is, um, <laughs> which I love because, again, that one of the great features of Yoda is that Yoda is a damn liar. He is just a practiced liar. And, you know, for good cause, obviously, but nevertheless, he, he lies and lies and lies and dissembles like nobody's business. But that's one of the great things is you've got, you know, of Star Wars is you've got a liar in charge of the good guys, and you got a liar in charge of the bad guy. And what what matters is why are you lying? Not are you lying? Because everybody lies. You know, it's not. This isn't church. You know, this isn't schoolboy stuff. Everybody does lie. The question is why are you lying? And right. and clearly Yoda is lying for good cause, and the Emperor is not. You know, I'm going to read out something here that that, that, that that Tim's put in text. Tim Fisher. Welcome to the show. Um, says Anakin could have found some way to train himself. In one of the novels, Vader tries to heal his own body through the Force, but keeps it secret from the Emperor. So as Vader, mm -hmm. Anakin seems to, to continue to explore the Force. Which, yeah, you can understand. I mean, um, Palpatine did tell him to, 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 to know the Force. You, you know, he has to have a wider knowledge. So exploring both sides. So, you know. He could continue to yeah, sure. explore things, and so um, the, the more exciting possibility would be during that exploration, reached out to uh, Qui Gon. Mm. That seems fascinating. A, a Qui Gon Darth Vader connection just yeah. seems really kind of exciting. Yep. Um, what was the other thing I was thinking? Of? Oh, the other thing too is that that. that um, the R2 is a damn liar. Oh, yeah. At the, at oh, the end always. of 3, they, 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 they wipe C-3PO's memory, but they don't wipe R2's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, R2's known everything from the very beginning. But that's that's been the stated ambition of Lucas from the start. That's why Lucas's favorite character is R2. Mm -hmm. 
I love it. I love the fact that this little, I love little it too. tiny droid knows everything. <laughs> everything, yeah. Absolutely. At, at, at the end of the, the, the final, final episode, they should have uh, you know, R2 sitting next to the bed of a, a, a small droid reading a book. <laughs> Oh, yeah. it was all the story that R two's been telling <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> and this is something, something else. You know, something else that, that we haven't gone over that Clone Wars does is they take the characters of the clones and the acting template of Tamara Morrison, who played Jango Fett, and mm-hmm. then in a lot of video games he does Boba, and makes him into all these fully fleshed different characters that oh, yeah. that command our attention and we, we feel for them and there's this overreaching sadness knowing eventually, you know, the order is going to be given and they're going to be these horrible assassins and lose their integrity and everything. But we but we see this this whole storyline with them and uh, the nobility and and uh the pride they have of themselves. And, and as warriors, and how much they really, really care, you know that that yeah, that's it, added shading. It, it overlays so much on to to to, to episode three, you know, um, when you know uh, Cody gets the order, um, and and you're like, holy, you know, now it's like, holy crap, you yeah. Know? Um, before it was like, oh, I see now. That's how they're gonna get rid of all the Jedi. You know, now you realize that, you know, how much he's worked with Commander Cody. Um, and, uh, what was the other part? Oh, when they're, when they retake the, when they break in basically to the Jedi Temple to change the, uh, the, uh, emergency signal to, to, yeah. to, to come home and they're going to fight their way in. And in the Clone Wars, you learn how much the Jedi appreciate the clones and treat them as, you know, um, as peers, as it were, um, yeah. as peers, they don't treat them like they're just dispensable soldiers, um, and so for them to have to, you know, basically kill them all in order to get into the into the temple is like, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking in a way, you know. And that's Although, what, that, that one move of, that one move Yoda. of Yoda's when he throws that throws his lightsaber and goes straight through that clump trooper, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. Amazing. I just want to know how the clones became such bad shots. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the question. You join Fossil, no. Fossil logic. No, they're not well, clones. In in stormtroopers aren't clones in right, the original right. trilogy. Yeah, well, that was my that I mean, was my first question. Ah, right, good. <laughs> but, but my 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 second well not question but answer is. If you watch three, when uh, or is it two, two or three, where where uh, um, Obi Wan follows Django, two, yeah, and you realize how many shots Django Fett lets off, you know, in his ship, bef- and, and still doesn't hit him. There's a good, I think, minute of shots being fired before <laughs> before Boba yeah. before Boba says, "You got him." <laughs> That's why. <laughs> well, here's my question, and it's not something I've read. It might be an obvious answer. What happens to all the clones? Does now I'm I'm using an open-ended uh, question. I mean, rhetorical. Does the emperor just 
get rid of the uh, the ones that have done the deed, so to speak. Once they've outlived their usefulness, does he destroy them? Well, mm. I, I, think, I think it's a national tradition. Well, it could be that, but I mean, there's also... I think this would be something that would be explored in Rebels, to be fair, and then whatever okay. I say right now may not happen. But my thought would be there's 22 years between the uh, episode three and episode four, so therefore a lot of them through natural attrition just wouldn't be there anymore. Right. I think I think it's I think it is probably fair to say that there are some clones still around, but they would be 45, you know. They would be a little bit old to still be in active duty as just stormtroopers. I think some of them... Well, the thing I've never really understood is why don't you ever see in the original trilogy somebody who is, you know, a a general or something who looks like Tamora Morrison? That should probably have happened. You would think one of these guys would have survived to the age of 45 and then become, you know, full-on officer or whatever. Unless, of course, the Emperor just doesn't trust them to be officers. Uh, uh, Maybe like replicants. They they have a, you know, an expiry date. Perhaps they all expire at age 40 or something. Right. I mean, that, that seems the more likely thing is it's like the old yeah. Universal Mummy movie. The uh, soldiers <clears throat> that killed the Nubians, they're killed by the other soldiers, so they can't tell where the uh, bodies are buried. What's a Nubian? You know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, yeah. I didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> which, which made me laugh just so it's much. Not good to be, it's not good to be a Nubian in, in, a, in a Mummy movie. They always well, get killed. I don't know if you've ever seen... Uh, chasing Amy that comes up. What's a Nubian? Yes, um, yes. The old it, it, made, it made me laugh in 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 Phantom Menace when I just watched it. My actually, my wife caught it first when he says when he's looking for parts for, for Nubian, the, yes. the ship. He goes, "Well, what kind of ship? Nubian." <laughs> no. yes. <sighs> yes, the whole beginning of Chasing Amy with the whole Comic Con Darth yeah. Vader thing is so priceless. <laughs> oh yeah, um, Tim and Chet. Um, says, do you think that uh, Ahsoka will appear in the new series Rebels or any other supporting characters from Clone Wars? And I'd add to that, you know, do we stand a chance of seeing Ahsoka in um, in Episode 7? I hope so. That'd be kind of cool, yeah. I think, to have, to have Ahsoka in there, you know. I, I think Ahsoka. she's definitely going to appear somewhere. And I think yeah. they may not know yet, to be fair. Um, I I don't think it's going to be in in the first season of Rebels. I'd be very surprised if it's in the first season of Rebels because that might then prejudice her against not showing up in the film. Hmm. So, but I, I at the same time I'm not sure that she would necessarily show up even in episode seven. It might be an episode eight kind of you know just when you've forgotten about her totally, all right. of a sudden she's back and in a powerful way kind of way. You know, yeah. so. But will she return? I can't imagine she won't return. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you, Darth. Um, I guess it was released today. Did you have you seen the trailer for uh, for Rebels? Oh, you know, I really haven't. Yeah, they released it. Woo! They released a, a trailer today. I guess. Um, it's for you. 
<laughs> Sorry, Ken, just muted you just in case it's yep. background. Yep. So uh, yeah, check that out. It's 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 kind of cool. Um, it's it's very brief, but it's a cool little trailer, and uh, it's making me look forward to it. Especially after you know now you get to the end of Clone Wars, and you're like, oh, now now I got nothing, you know. But now I'm looking forward yeah. to having watched Clone Wars and then, you know, kind of watched uh, uh, Episode 3. Now I'm really looking forward to, to doing, you know, 4, 5, and 6 to kind of then overlay that information, you know, going forward. You know, the, you know, the moment that's been prepared for. <clears throat> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Well. But uh, so – Hopefully we haven't spoiled it too much for people who haven't seen it. Um, and even if if you feel you've been spoiled, oh yeah, spoiler warning. We did say that we were talking about five and six, so fair dues. Uh, but I don't think we've spoiled it as much where you know you can't go and, and enjoy it because there's so much that goes on in in, uh, in series one, two, three, four, and, and five that we haven't even really kind of touched on and. Uh, and and you can get a lot out of it, um, and you know it's it's a lot of fun. You know you you get to meet uh, new and interesting Jedi, um, ones that you see get slaughtered in the movies, uh, but you actually get to you know you get to to know them, which is I think really really cool. Is that you know um, we get this what brief glimpse of uh, Master Plo Koon, um, but but in uh, in the Clone Wars we get to see him all the time, you know. Um, on missions and all sorts, and and imparting wisdom and um, thanks, yeah, Ken. Oh, and Kit, Cuddly Ken has to leave. Um, he's becoming one with the Force, um, but he will see us next week. Bye, bye, Ken. Um, oh, he's left a pile of clothes on the floor as well. He's just <laughs> disappeared. <laughs> he never cleans up after himself. I tell you. <laughs> Um, but unless anybody's got anything in, in wrapping up, um, I think we've come to a, a natural end. Yeah, uh, I'd just like to ask Jeff if he's still on audio and not muted. Um, you, you've watched all of it. And it you know, c- could people come in at to five or six? Uh, I, I, I mean, was it worth going through the whole lot for you? Uh, or did you feel as though you were a couple of series in before you, you got to the uh, the good stuff? Well, I, I think it was all good, but I'm a huge mm-hmm. Star Wars fan, and this series was on TV at a bad time for me. Um, it just wasn't on at a time that I could catch it, so I, I didn't watch it when it was airing, and I, I'm glad I went back and watched it all. It was uh, it was interesting to see it all um, for a casual Star Wars fan. I don't think you have to see the whole thing. Um, as Darth, I think, pointed out, the the last season, or maybe the last couple seasons, are the most important. Um, But if you want to see all the character relationships and how they build, you may want to go back to season one and take more time than I did. (laughs) Watching it in two and a half weeks is really tough, and uh, you're probably going to forget a lot of it. So I may go back and watch it again, um, and take my time and really absorb everything that was there. Um, the one thing that uh, that stuck out in my mind is actually from s- season two. Uh, there was an episode or two episodes where they were um, they had this beast. They had this armor that uh, 
they wanted to exploit and use for the clone troopers and um the the beast was killed at the end and right at the end of the episode spoiler alert the the uh chancellor says to have the beast cloned and from my memory i don't think we ever saw anything beyond that concerning the beast so i i just wonder what happened there yeah you were never to get that kind of come up again. I, I was oh, waiting. Okay. I was anticipating. Well, this is going to show up again somewhere, sometime, and it never did. Mm. It's like they were making and, plans to, to to at least do that. But yeah, sorry, Dave, go ahead. I was just saying, what, uh, can you reference what Tim's saying? Because I, I I'm not sure what that is. Mm. Oh, the, the saga of Asajj Ventress. I mean, there's there's all sorts of you know people mentioning it's like, well, do you think you know Ventress will show up in in the, in the new series? Um, will she show up in the new movie? Um, and uh, what he's alluding to there of, of Obi Wan and, and Duchess Satine. Um, that's a great little story because it 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 basically says that, uh, well, at least to me, that the Obi Wan was really really kind of faced with the same thing um, that. Uh, uh, Anakin is. He fell in love. There was some kind of relationship there, and you know it never went any further because, you know, um, Obi Wan wouldn't let it. You know, um, it never happened all the way because you know he was a Jedi, uh, and so it, to me that means he was tempted in the same way that, that that Anakin was, but you know he resisted the way Anakin didn't. But, you know, he was a, you know, hormonal teenager. What do you expect? <laughs> right, yeah. And uh, Tim's added finally, uh, it makes Obi-Wan uh, in episode four an even sadder, lonely old man. It's heartbreaking. Mm. Thank you for all your comments mm. in text. We do try and uh, attribute those things. Yep. But I think uh, if, uh, I think we're about done there, but I've really thoroughly enjoyed it and certainly enjoyed watching uh, season six. Uh, so yeah, well, well right. that's, that's the question. If you, you, you asked um, you asked Jeff about like watching them all together, and, or just watching the last like you know the last season. How did you feel just watching that last season? Did you feel like I really need to now go back and watch more, or did you feel like you got uh, an awful lot out of just that one you know uh, was the thirteen episode stretch? I, I would say probably. Maybe I should have watched season five as well, but yeah. um, uh, I, I, I certainly did enjoy it. And um, because of the recaps uh, at the beginning of each one, I mean, they're, they're only 22, three minutes long. So there's like 20 minutes mm. of new material in each one. Uh, it was enough for me to, I mean, I take my hat off to Jeff uh, with his marathon. But uh, yeah, I, perhaps I, I could have watched season five. I don't think I'd go much further back than that. Uh, I have got the DVD of the actual the movie. Hmm. At least, at least you had, I guess, some groundwork there to. to yeah, to yeah. Go. You had at least seen that, so you know you had some establishing stuff going. All right. Anything to add, Darth, before we close out? Um, I guess not. Uh, other than you know, just watch it. Uh, it's available in a lot of different formats. And easy to get, really. Um, so why not spend some time with it? It makes some sense. Uh, especially because 
if you're a Star Wars fan, you have a little gap of time here where you're not getting any new content, so you might as well go back to uh, a little bit of the older content. Because um, we don't exactly know when Rebels is coming up, right? It's vaguely this year, but not really clear what part of this year, I think. Um, let me see if this is anything. I don't think that there's a... Yeah. I mean, if they've released a, a trailer, as you said today, that means it must be this year, but it's not. Um, I would think it's the end of summer, not necessarily the middle. They probably want to do it, you know, in September or whatever. They probably want to do it when the summer blockbuster movie season is over, so that, therefore people are sort of starved for new action adventure content and they'll flip on TV and there you go. All right. Um, trying to think if it said. Hmm. It doesn't say anything on, on this article. Um, I think maybe fall or something like that. Also, I guess there's a um, Lego Star Wars, uh, the uh, the new Yoda Chronicles that. Uh, on um, uh, the Disney Channel on uh, this Sunday, at seven o'clock. Uh, oh, it says it here mm-hmm. at the end. Uh, the series is scheduled to premiere in the fall as a one uh, as a one hour special. Yeah, okay. Yep. So yeah, check out the new trailer and uh, um, to, to celebrate May the Fourth. I also um, downloaded all the uh, uh, Lego Star Wars. Uh, games, um, they're they're for sale on um, on GameFly uh, for about. I got the whole. I got uh, Clone Wars and uh, the complete saga, uh, two different games for uh, ten bucks because it's a twenty percent off coupon that you can find online, and uh, and get the two of them. So that's what I'm going to be doing as well. Uh, plus, going to be watching uh, episodes four, five, and six. Later on this evening. So nice. may, may the fourth be with you all. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm trying to read stuff in text. Dave, talk. Uh, yeah, no, um, I think that's great. Let me just uh, take this opportunity before Ian closes us out that um, uh, our delayed, uh, postponed uh, House of Cards season one review will be next week. So that's episode two five five. Next Sunday, House of Cards. Uh, and just an early warning, Ian and myself are uh, considering you know, how to proceed between now and Dot 2 coming back in the autumn with um, you know, how we do these live shows. Um, we're just a little bit concerned that we're, we're depending so, uh, you know, on such great and magnificent contributions from just a few audio people. Um, so we want to make sure that we've either got topics that people are keen to come and join in live uh, we may just phase towards a little bit towards a few more studio shows uh, in, in the summer months so that's just right. an early warning of something that we'll be talking about hopefully soon. Nothing set in stone yet it's just something that we're we're considering um, you know rather than continuing to, to dilute Coltham uh, making it something a little, little uh, to kind of freshen up the place a bit uh, do something a little different, but uh, be um, yeah. We will always be here for Doctor Who. 
whenever there's new episodes of Who, we will be here um, every weekend. So, um, so just something to look look forward to in the future. Um, so until next week, I'd like to say thank you to to, to Darth and Jeff and for Ken and and for Tim for coming along and making it a great show. Um, and uh, uh, for Darth for suggesting this one in the in the, in the first place. Um, and thank you to Netflix for having all episodes available for me to ingest and and for Jeff as well. So until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the fifth doctor. Did you say fifth? Goodbye, fifth. everybody. <laughs> With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.